Amen. All right, y'all can be seated. You know, I was, I was thinking also this morning as we been, as we were sitting there just talking about, as I was thinking about uh, just how we handle trials and problems differently. Sometimes we handle them differently than uh, than people who have no hope. Obviously, hopefully we do. But I've also just realized today that you know, as we're, we've been talking about this illustration of of us being in the middle and, be, and walking through life with God, um, you know, in the psalm that I just quoted of where, where David says, I've set the Lord before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. David didn't say, I've got all the right theology regarding God. Or I've got, you know, I'm practice, I've got the right practices regarding God. And because I went to church today, he's at my right side. You know, or because I, I went to Sunday school and because I, I, I shared the gospel with somebody, he's, he's by my side. Everybody get that? Are y'all, you all with me yet? Because I want y'all to get this illustration, okay? I can start over if I need to. Everybody good? No, really, y'all good? It, it, he didn't say that, and I'm saying that to this stand because this, this is our religious stand over here. That's not what he's, you know, that's not what, what David said. He also didn't say that I panic, although David did panic pretty good bit. But usually at the end of his panic, he writes about it, and we're thankful for that. But after he finishes writing about it, uh, he, he eventually says, but God, you know, but God is faithful. And so we don't, we don't respond really like either one of those. You know, sometimes, I know, sometimes when, you, when, 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 you're, when you're spiritual, if you're like I was, I, I, was, I had all the, these ideas about who God was. And I, I had good theology in a lot of ways, but my practices were not from my heart. I really didn't know God. And so, you know, I, I knew what I was supposed to do, but I just, it wasn't in my heart to do it. And I think that's what happens if you stay over here. If you don't ever really come to know God as a person, then when, when problems come, you know the right verses to go to, but it's not in your heart because you don't know God, you haven't really encountered him and, and through obedience and, and letting him work out his will in your life. And obviously over here, you, you know, there are certain circumstances when you just respond the way the world responds. We're over here and we're, we don't have any hope, you know, in crisis. And we're, we're fearful for the, the uh, loss of property and, and all of our possessions and the loss of life. You know, those things, we, but the Bible says we don't, we don't grieve like other people grieve. And there's a reason for that. And all of that, again, this morning just comes right back to us understanding God by experience. Us knowing him through obedience and experiencing God's work and movement in our lives. And when we do that, when God's moving and working in our lives, then, then you have something nobody can take away from you. What would make... Um, servants of God, like, like all of the disciples, what would make them come to the point of death and not forsake their faith? I mean, all of them except for John died were martyrs for what they believed in. What would make them do that? I promise you it wasn't this. And I promise you it wasn't that. Both of those guys run when it comes time to die. But when we're following the one who already died for us and we recognize and we know through experience like, like all the disciples did, they walked with Jesus. 
They experienced Jesus every day. Their theology was formed by Jesus and redefined by Jesus because they all had ideas about what religion was. And they, their lack of passion for the things of the world, uh, like Peter l- l- leaving his fishing industry and, and Matthew leaving his tax collector's table, they left those things. You know, it's obvious that there was a person involved. And they were all about that person. And so life was handled differently whenever you're about, whenever you know God, when you know him by experience, when he's more than just head knowledge, more than just an idea or a concept. So that's what Paul's been talking to Timothy about. And he's been talking about specifically, look, if you aspire to, to know him and be like him, this is what it's going to look like. And we've been walking through these characteristics in, in chapter 3 of First uh, Timothy, talking about what does it look like when somebody is really stretching, literally, the aspiring means to stretch with all my might towards being like Christ. Then these are the things that, that are part of my life. Now, I, if you're like me, and you are, all of you are, there's nobody better than me, nobody worse than me. We're all in the same boat. Um, when we went through those characteristics, and we're done with those, of elders and deacons, we all found ourselves falling woefully short but i hope that what has happened for us if it's in our hearts to to be like christ which it is for every believer the bible says that the holy spirit comes in one thing he does he works in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure so if paul says this is what the church looks like this is what the household of faith believers in the household of faith this is what they look like then it's in your heart already to be those things but I know the enemy tries to deceive us, and probably some of the things he's told you is the same things he's told me. You'll never be that. Give up. You know, you, you don't really want to do that. You don't want to be that. Or you're so weak. And then when you make any effort, you know, rather than depending on the Holy Spirit uh, and time, which those two things are necessary for us, the Holy Spirit and time is what ultimately will lead us to have those characteristics in our lives. But... If you're not doing that, it's easy to get defeated. If you're if you're works based and you're depending on um, pulling yourself up to this level, you're not going to get there. And so, what was going on in 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 this particular case in the in Ephesus was not a lot of this necessarily. It's more of this. And so, Paul was trying to tell Timothy, "Look, uh, there are teachers over here that are that are." promoting that are that are talking about this as being the end all it's all about following the law and and they're 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 not talking about jesus they're talking about rules and regulations and how we're acting and and they're trying to make a big deal out of that and if you weren't circumcised correctly and then you then make sure you do all these things that were part of the old law and they're trying to add to the gospel all these works so so Paul says, this is what, this, I want you to know what it looks like when you're just going after God. And, and, it, and these are the characteristics. Now, he's coming back in chapter 4. We're going to pick up there today. He's going to come back in chapter 4, and he's going to deal with these guys again. Uh, and so, I, I mean, it's so significant that we get this message. I'm going to try and make it all the way through chapter 4 today in, in a, without keeping you late. All right, so just everybody know that that's my goal. Y'all cool with that? Say, oh, yeah. All right, and if I go over, you cool with staying just a little bit longer? Say, oh, yeah? I don't care if you of you are. No, okay, there it is. Thank you for being honest, Levi. Just for that, I'm charging you for the wedding. All right, 
But chapter 4 is awesome, man. I'm, I'm excited about coming back to these things and just making a few points that I think you'll be fascinated with if, if you can stay plugged in. So y'all ready to sit up in your spirit and get this message? Say, oh, yeah. All right, here we go. I want to go back just a minute, recap last week, because we had a baby dedication. It was really about that. But I want to remind us that God is building something at TGP West. God is building something here in our household of faith, which is us. It's not the building, us. He's building something in each one of you who have made a commitment or are thinking about making a commitment to this body. There's something that God is doing in you. And, and the things that we talked about last week were, first of all, that he is making us a household of faith, his house, the house that he lives in and a house that demonstrates and reveals who he is. So we should be authentic, consistent manifestations of God's presence. God is not in a house and, there's, and that house is the same. When God comes into a house, everything changes. When, when, when God asked Peter, can I, can I use your boat? All the potential of God's stuff was in the boat. Y'all remember the story? Peter, can I get in your boat and push back so I can keep preaching? When God stepped into the boat in the form of the Son of God, everything about that boat changed. All the potential of, of experiencing and knowing God by experience happened. And, and Jesus steps into the boat, and he finishes preaching, and then he, he's ready to start engaging Peter, right? Because, because God was in his household. God was, in, his, God was in, his, in that place, and because God's in the place, all the potential for encountering and knowing God by experience happens. So what does Peter do? He goes through the abiding cycle. Jesus says, cast out your nets. Peter's logic, his faith challenge was, well, I fished all night and caught nothing. But... His faith was strong enough that he said what? But because you said it, I'll do it. Not because I believe it, not because I've seen it before. Matter of fact, everything I've seen says there's no fish there. But because you said it, I'll do it. He casts his nets, and what happens? The biggest catch he'd ever caught. Had to call James and John to come in and help him get it out. And then when he gets to the shore, he doesn't say, hey, can you come back tomorrow and tell me where to fish? Because I like this. We're going to be well known. We're going to be great fishermen. Everybody's going to know. Hey, they know where to fish. And look, you don't even have to come out and just tell us, just point. That could have been his response, but it wasn't. What did he do? He left his nets and followed Jesus. He didn't even want to fish anymore. Everybody getting a picture? Look, if, if we can just realize that because God is in this household, this one right here and that one right there and that one, maybe in that one, definitely in that one. Strong in that one, little one with the glasses. He's real cute in that one, too. I don't know how that happened. But if, God's, if God is in this household, listen, guys. <laughs> it's going to pay off later. If God is in that household, all the potential, really, of two things is, is, is available to us. Number one, all the potential of a God-exclusive experience is waiting right now inside of you and for this body. Number two, this community. All that this community is waiting for is in the household of God if we will be authentic, consistent manifestations of God's presence in this community. The same thing that happened with James and John will happen with the people that are around us. They're going to see God, and they're going to go, I'm going to come help you. I'm going to come be a part of what's going on in your life. 
All right, so that's 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 what we were talking about last week. So, and he calls it the church of the living God, a body belonging to God. That's us. We are the church of the living God. We are a body belonging to God. He called us a pillar and buttress of the truth. That is, we are a body that's bringing truth to the world, and we're not bringing it this way. We're not just just yelling it from our our, our uh, palaces, our, our stained glass palaces, screaming out to everybody, y'all come and discover truth. It's, we're not screaming it out that way. We're not writing it on paper and telling everybody, read this. If you agree with it, come on, be with us. We're, we're coming, we're, we're, we're focusing our lives on Christ. We're centering our lives around him. And, and they're seeing that, and they'll be drawn from both sides to this. Right? So that's what we want. That's what it means to be a pillar. You know, a, a foundation and a pillar that holds up the truth, and that's what we need to do. We need to be those people. We are, we are to support and hold up and be all about the truth, and that is that Jesus alone is truth. That he wants to have a relationship with you, and he gives you grace wherever you are, and he receives you, and he has a life, an incredible life for you, and he wants you to continue to discover him, uh, his characteristics through obedience and through life experiences. This is what we're about. That's the buttress of truth. That's the pillars that we're looking at. Jesus is the truth to which we are pillars and a buttress. So we need to be that in the community. You know, so today when we talked about what's going on, the circumstances around us. We have an opportunity this week in the cleanup and, and next week in the cleanup and the works that, that hopefully we'll have opportunities to do as a church, but all of you will probably have opportunities to do if you, can, if you have the time and, and you can get off of work or whatever to do it, to go and be a part of cleaning up. And so in the middle of that, what do we do? We are buttresses of truth. We are, we are people who are stepping into a tragedy and we're bringing the truth about who God is in tragedy. That he is with us. That he is for us. That goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we'll, we dwell in the house of God forever. This is where we dwell. We live here. And there's peace here in the middle of trials and problems. So we can do that. We can bring that. We don't want anything to rob. I, I don't want anything to rob you guys of that. I'm so glad that we went through 1 Timothy slowly and we evaluated ourselves. But let's, let's go back to what Paul is saying to Timothy. There are people on this side that are trying to rob you of that. Now, I'm not talking about believers who are all, have an authentic... Look, let me clear this up so everybody will know. There are people in, that are in this who are authentically... They have had a relationship with Christ. I'm one of those. I sat in this, in this position for most of my life in ministry, and I preached it, and I talked more people into coming to this. So these are, I'm not saying these are not believers, and Paul's not saying that either here, and I'll show you that in just a minute. But, uh, but our lives have been transformed. We've been changed, and I want to protect you from people who are stuck over here and, and either are believers and are trying to continue to get people to come, get you to come and be a part of this, rather than holding on to what you know is true and what we've experienced personally in Christ. And it's also, it is more theologically sound. All right, so we're not missing anything here. And so we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to talk about what, we're going to look at what Paul says about these people over here, particularly the ones that are stuck there, trying to call you back into that. Uh, Man, I just want to encourage you today, don't get called back into that. 
Don't allow that to happen. I'm, I'm being your Timothy today. Don't be called back into that. Don't allow it to happen. Paul set, set, told Timothy to warn those that were teaching that way not to teach that way anymore, to rebuke them, and then to tell the people not to listen. So I'm saying, people, y'all with me? Don't listen, okay? I'm doing that. It's scriptural. It's biblical. We're going to do it. All right, verse 1 of 1 Timothy 4. Here we go. Now, the Spirit expressly says in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. All right, we'll stop there for a minute. The Holy Spirit, he says, expressly says. Let me stop for just a minute here and just say. The Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit says. Now, does the Holy Spirit speak? Okay. It's the New Testament passage that the Holy Spirit says. He speaks. Now, why am I saying that? I want you to know that. If you don't know it, the Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks clearly. He speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer, circumstances, other believers. The Holy Spirit speaks, okay? Just remember that. That's that's huge for us at the gathering place. Uh, So the Holy Spirit is the one that's speaking. Now, I don't know what he's talking about specifically. He could be saying the Holy Spirit spoke and and speaks. He is speaking, or he says and has said, that, that could be a good interpretation of that. But he said it expressly, which means exactly what the Spirit says. If it's expressly, he's saying the Holy Spirit says these things exactly. And so when I start thinking about things the Holy Spirit says exactly, I'm probably not going to tell you that that word came from me. More than likely, what Paul's saying to Timothy here is this word that the Holy Spirit is speaking came from maybe the prophets. Like Daniel, chapter 7. Look at this, verses 25 and 26. Uh, This was a prophecy of Daniel about the Antichrist. And he said this, which would be a false teacher, a liar, the same that Paul is talking about here. He says, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. So it might have been when Paul was saying the Holy Spirit expressly says, it says this exactly, that what he's about to say came from the prophets, and in this case it did. Paul is warning them about false teachers, that, that they will arise. These liars will arise and tell you things that are not true. And, and Daniel said that. The Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets, and those prophecies are coming true. Could have also been he was talking about Jesus and what he said. Anything that Jesus said was the Holy Spirit. Everybody get that? The Holy Spirit was in him. He was the Holy Spirit in human form speaking. So it could have been he was talking about Jesus. Here's what Jesus said, exactly what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 24 Verses 11 to 14. Jesus said, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness 
uh, will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And, the go- and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Some, he says, will depart from the faith as a result of these false teachers. But here's Jesus saying the same thing. Exactly what Daniel was saying. These are two cases that that Paul may have been talking about. He's saying this is exactly what the Spirit has said. He said it through the prophets. He said it through Jesus. Get it in your heads. False teachers are coming. uh, And they will preach things that are not true. And look, here's here's why I want us to take the time to understand this is because there had never been a time in history where there are more false teachers. And I think we treat this like, okay, yeah, he's talking about false teachers. And, and we're sitting in false teaching that we've heard and believed all of our lives. And it's empty and it's dead. And, and Paul was talking about this. Paul is talking about Judaizers who were trying to say, Jesus is not enough. You guys need to also have circumcision and some other things. You need to follow all the feasts and the festivals and the laws. That exists in this community. I can promise you, I, I was a perpetuator of that for years. So we don't just sit where you are. Man, look, receive this word with joy and go study it out yourself. It's all over the scriptures. Paul warns us of this all the time about false teachers, and he's not talking about guys that are teaching some way out strange stuff that's, not, uh, that's easy to ignore. He's not saying, you know, there's going to be some that are going to come in here and they're going to try to get you to go worship grass, so don't follow them. All right, somebody's going to try to get some of you wives to worship your husband. So, right. see, those would be easy to resist, right? The reason why he's warning them is because this is hard for them. They're having a hard time because they, they lived in the law all of their lives, and now this, the Holy Spirit has come, and a new covenant has come. It's a covenant, new covenant of, of grace that's been brought into being by the blood of Christ and, and the righteousness of, of Jesus is given to us. God's righteousness is given to us when we've been working for that all of our lives. That never made us righteous, but we've been working. And some of us are in that same boat, man. We're just like that. And so just receive that, man. Hear that word. Uh, God wants us to, to get that clear. Because he says some in, in Matthew uh, 11 or 24, Jesus said, some will depart from the faith. Now, when he says depart from the faith, where were you before you departed? In the faith. Okay, so he's not talking about these guys over here. He's talking about people who were over here and came to Christ and they would depart from here. And they would go back into that. They would depart from faith in Christ alone, Jesus alone, the gospel alone, and go back. So these are people that were already in the church. And the faith that he's talking about here, again, is the teaching that he's already talked about in 1 Timothy, this teaching that uh, all the characteristics that we studied would flow out of our lives as we kept our focus on Jesus. Now, at the beginning... I want to say this because he says um, in, the, in the passage that we started with, he said, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. That word now 
uh, it's probably better interpreted but. It is in the, in the New American Standard Version. It is in some other versions. And even in the versions that, that have it listed as now, that word actually means and or but typically. And, and it would mean now, it would be easy for it to mean now, if, it was, if, they, if typically, again, in the Greek language, if they were continuing the same thought, then the word now would be, moved, would be used. But he's not using the same thought. He's saying in, in reference to all that I've said about you walking with God and these characteristics being a part of your life as deacons and elders, people who are going after God, he's saying in reference to that, you do those things. You hold on to the mystery of God that's been given to you. But he's not saying, and also teach false teachings. All right. He's saying he's given us a different thought. He's given us the opposite of what we were thinking. So, but is probably a better thought there. And so he's, he comes in and says, look, you do all of this, but there's also some things you need to be aware of. And that is there's going to be people who are teaching something different, specifically works they're going to teach you that self-discipline in regard to abstaining from marriage particularly and eating uh food that was sacrificed to idols things that the essenes believe there was a group of of jewish uh jewish people uh who called essenes that were leading people to believe that these things were were bad that food that god created for you to enjoy and in marriage uh, uh rules about marriage that that were okay with god or not okay anymore and, and they had a lot of other physical things that they said made all the difference. He says they're going to teach those things. And in our day, people will say, look, just rededicate your life. Rededicate yourself to be a better uh, person, you know, and start acting Christian. You know, they might not say it like that because I said it in a way that makes you not believe it. But, man, I grew up hearing that all my life. Just pull yourself up, man. Come on. Dig deep, act right, get you some accountability so you'll start acting right. Agree together with a bunch of people that you're going to live right. That's the answer. It's not the answer. Just rededicating ourselves to be right, it might hold you for a little while, but this is the only thing that's going to get you consistently, authentically and consistently portraying who Christ is in, in your life. It's going to be loving God, knowing him living for him, seeing him, knowing him by experience in your life. God created that for your enjoyment and to be received, he says, with thanksgiving. So Paul calls these teachings. He doesn't, he doesn't say little nice mamby-pamby kind of thoughts about it. He calls them teachings of demons empowered by deceitful spirits. These teachings come from one place. They come from the pits of hell. They come from Satan himself, and they're perpetuated by his little demons. A couple of you are reading uh, screw tape letters right now by C.S. Lewis. I encourage you, if you've never read that before, it's a very insightful way to just look at. It's fiction, but it's based on the truth. Uh, but just to, to look at it and understand, man, there are demons that are at work in this world. They've been given the freedom to, to by the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, who God's given uh, the ability to work and move on the earth, they deceive us all the time. And they're always working. These are the teachings of demons. And they work. They, they, there's no better place that they would work than in a church where there's a possibility that men and women could move towards this. Knowing God, loving God, working and, and responding to the, to the world based on who he is. 
and being a, a witness to both sides. Satan wants to keep you locked in that spot over there or in this spot over here. And particularly in this case, Paul is saying these guys are going to keep are going to try and get you to leave the faith and come back over here to legalism, to another list of rules and regulations, these list of things you can do and these list of things that you can't do. And the list of can't do's are way bigger than the list of things you can do. And the things you can't do, you don't want to do. Because it's not prompted from an authentic faith. And they're trying to get you to come back and to fear that over here is not exactly right because over here is what a lot of people are doing. Think about in Jesus' day. Think about in Jerusalem, for instance, how the disciples felt when everybody but them was doing this. But just a few disciples. I'm talking about the 12, the 100 and however many there were, and surely others. But we, we, need to, we need to stand here. We need to walk here. We need to be witnesses here. And Paul is, is helping us to understand that the demonic spirits are crafty and convincing. He wants you to know that. Don't fear them, though. Be ready, he says, for them. Know the word. And know what the, when the spirit is speaking. These deceitful spirits have a grip, though, on a lot of people who are in our community, both believers and non-believers. Right? Those demons have a grip. Those deceitful spirits have a, have a grip on them. And on some of us, maybe. And so you can do one of two things. You can rededicate yourself to do better. Or you can, you know, a typical response that these demons will try to get us to do that Satan wants us to do is give up on faith and try to get better, to be better, to act better. Or give up on faith and run over here and live our lives in pleasure. That's, that's what the enemies are trying to get us to do. And Paul is saying, look, there are people in the church. There are guys that are in leadership who have been in pulpits around. And, and they ha- they've been given authority to speak. And they speak, they're speaking things that are drawing people away from faith and then these false teachings. Just be aware of that. All right, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and in the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, and it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Look, can we settle something once and for all? Though acting right has some value. Uh, Paul says it here. uh, You know, obviously I agree with him. (laughs) You know, it's the word of God. If you're living in any way based on what you're supposed to do, on what you ought to do, on what you should do, if you're living in any way based on those things and you're living by an irreverent, silly myth, I'm going to say it again, okay, because I know we had a little distraction. I want everybody to get this. Listen. Though acting right has some value, if you are living in any way based on what you are supposed to do, ought to do, should do. You're living by an irreverent, silly myth. Take that in. Disagree with me if you want to for a minute. I'm going to show you what he's talking about. Paul makes it clear in this passage. It's very clear. 
right? We need to get this clear once and for all. If the way you describe what you do is I ought, because I ought to do it, because we're supposed to do it, because I should do it, that's an irreverent, silly myth. God never intended for us to, do, to live this new life in Christ in that way. Paul says those things have value. That's, that's bodily stuff. That's acting right. But he said godliness, godliness is of value in every way. Godliness is not you acting right. It's not you doing what you're supposed to do. Godliness is appropriate. This is by definition. Appropriate beliefs and devout practices of obligations relating to supernatural persons in power. They're appropriate beliefs and devout actions. It's when this gets in my heart. It's opposite of what he described in verse 2. It's not lies and living our lives based on our own goodness. It's living our lives based on our relationship with Jesus. It's devout practices that come out of that. See, what, we, what we like to do is we like to start over here. So when, when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Everybody with me still? Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I said that to Peter. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Peter didn't hear, go be a fisher of men. Peter didn't hear, well, I need to go figure out how to fish for men. Peter heard one thing, follow me. And he left his nets, and he did what? He followed Jesus. Peter, Jesus said, come over here, and let's, you follow me. You build your relationship with me. You get to know me. You spend time with me. And then you're going to be a fisher of men on both sides of this issue. What makes us a fisher of men? It's being with Jesus. Scripture says that that Jesus appointed 12, designating them as apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. He designated them as apostles, not so that he could send them out. He designated them apostles, first of all, so that they might be with him. And they were with him. And their lives were radically transformed by that. And they came to know him. And their message was clear after, they, after he died and was resurrected and sent the Holy Spirit. Their message was clear. He was in them continually communicating the same messages. I hope we all get that. Let's settle that. Godliness is of value in every way. Rightness and oughtness and supposedness and shouldness is not. It's a silly myth. Don't live that way. And you don't have to fear whether the good, the right activity is going to come. Righteousness is God. He calls it godliness because it comes from the relationship. You dwell on that and the, and the right actions are going to come. But we can't have the mix. We've got to get rid of that once and for all and get focused on Jesus and knowing him. Remember in verse 2, he said, the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared and forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods, yada, yada. These these leaders are the opposite of that. They are liars whose consciences have been seared. They don't even have a heart anymore. There is no heart that's guiding what they say. They're just saying what they want to say so they can be in power or in control. They believe one thing and they practice another. They teach one thing and they live another. They claim to be free, but they continue to teach and live in bondage. And that kind of living is of no value. 
So only true godliness has value and brings abundant life and contentment and peace that we've been talking about. If a lost person lives in his lostness, an unbeliever, a person who hasn't come to Christ yet, if he lives in his lostness, if I said this wasn't, if I said anything opposite of what I'm about to say, you would know it wasn't true. There is enjoyment here. There is, there is good times to be had over here in a lostness apart from Christ. There, there are good times to be had. Some of you have experienced them to the max. We have some varied types of believers in this body, but there are some of you that you have had the, you've had the best that this has to offer. But it's not the same as coming to Christ. Man, there's a peace and a joy and contentment you can never get over here. And that's why when you get to the end of this, this is usually where you show up. Same thing's true over here. There are people who, look, there's enjoyment over here. As long as you're good at it, there's some enjoyment over here. Our, you know, there are periods of time when revival's come and we make good decisions and we're really keeping our commitment for a little while. Man, that feels good. And we're really doing well with the list. And we're not doing the don'ts anymore. And we've got a whole month where we haven't had a certain sin that we've had all of our lives. And wow, we're doing good. And it feels good. It feels like God. But that's the best that this has to offer. And it's not enough. Most of you know, man, I climbed a ladder of this. I climbed it all the way to what would be the top in whatever career I wanted. Working for the Southern Baptist Convention, Nashville, Tennessee. National consultant. Everybody wanted to hear what I had to say, except for me. I was sick of it. I got there, and there was no life in it. There was nothing eternal, nothing of value. It was all building my pride up and making me feel good about myself. But there was nothing over there. If, you, if you're just doing it for religion's sake. And I was a believer and I departed from the faith to come over here. Because my, my faith experience was authentic. I had an encounter with God that was ra- radically transforming. But then immediately people over here started telling me, well, here's what you need to do now. Live in this list of rules. And I was the best at following the rules. And I had a lot of people who were willing to follow me when I was following the rules. There's nothing in that. Listen, the place we need to live is right here, man, right here in the middle, loving Jesus, knowing him, letting him do his stuff in us. Don't be deceived and walking in either one of the other ways. Now, you might say, Glenn, I feel uncomfortable teaching this stuff to people because they are going to take it the wrong way. If I tell them there's freedom in Christ, they're going to take it the wrong way. Paul understood that too. And that they're going to go and live in sin. Look at what Paul says in, in verse 6 and then 9 through 12. If you put these things before the brothers, he says, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So stop. Point number one. Paul says, if you teach this, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't teach this. I've had people when I taught grace come up to me after and say, man, you don't need to teach that anymore. People are going to go live in sin. I've had them come up and tell me that after a sermon. If you teach grace, that is the, not only the grace of Christ for salvation, but for the imputed righteousness of God given to us in Christ, that we are perfect in God's eyes right now. When he looks down, it doesn't matter what I did this morning, he looks down and says perfect. Not because he looks at what I did, because he doesn't look at what I did. He looks at what Christ did. If you never got that, and you think that if you tell people that they're going to go off and live in sin, don't worry about it. You are a good servant of Jesus Christ if you preach the truth. Okay, everybody get that? Say, oh, yeah. 
All right, we'll go preach it then. All right, let's stay right here. Don't have, you don't have to give in to any of that. All right, but then in verse 9, he says, This saying is trustworthy and de- deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Paul says, here's, here's the truth, man. You just keep on preaching the truth. You keep preaching it's all about Jesus. This is what Paul was striving and tolling for. This is why he's telling Timothy, don't let those guys teach this anymore. Don't let them add to the simplicity of the gospel, to the grace and character and the mercy of God. Don't let people bring you back into that. Some are going to walk away from the faith. Paul, you go and tell those teachers, first of all, quit teaching that. And then second of all, tell the people, don't listen. All right, so we're saying that again, don't listen. Someone in Alexandria needs to teach the truth about the grace of God over and over and over again without any mixture of works or legalism so that people can respond to the truth. I hope that will be us. If we're going to do it, it means we have to trust that God is, as Paul says here, the living God. That is, he's alive and working in the lives of believers. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit would testify he is doing that, and then that we would testify. We've got to believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and working and moving in this community. And if we speak the truth, the Holy Spirit will draw people to truth. And that he is the Savior of all people, as Paul says in this passage. You can't live this way if you don't believe that. You can't teach this way if you don't believe that God's going to do his part. He's going to bring people to himself. He is the Savior of all people. Verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have which is given to you by prophecy, talking about Timothy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching, though. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourselves, yourself and your hearers. It's very likely that, that Paul was facing what you guys specifically, most of you in this room, are facing right now. The people that were, that were probably putting pressure on Paul, uh, I mean on Timothy, to act right were older people. Now, I'm an older person, okay, so I can talk about myself. I can talk about older people because I'm one of us. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but y'all know what I'm feeling. Those of you that are young in the faith and you're going after God with all that you have and you're, you're tired of, of people that are stuck in this telling you that you're wrong. I get that. But you know what? They need you to live an example so that they can come to this. If I, didn't, if I hadn't had somebody speak into my life when I was stuck in legalism, I would never have come out to know God the way that I do. And I can't just leave people like that. Y'all, it's our, it's our desire to bring wandering people who are stuck in this to God and let him define whatever he's going to define. But I trust that God's going to do that. It's going to be him. They, you know, I believe that God's going to do that. And we, so we pray and we bless people. We, we, we pray, we listen to them, we eat with them, we serve them, and we, we share the gospel with them on both sides, share the beauty of what we're talking about. Those people over there were focused on acting right, and they were trying to get uh, Timothy, a young man, to, to act right. And he said, look, don't let anybody despise your youth. He says, look, 
Timothy, in summary, work out what the Spirit has worked in through your speech, through your conduct, through your love for others, through your faith in God, through your purity, the purity of your actions as you respond to God. Let your faith speak. Work out what God's worked in. For example, public reading of Scripture, exhortation and teaching. That's corporate worship. He said, look, have corporate worship, man, and that, you know, but make it real. Make it authentic. Work out your salvation. When you come to worship, don't sit here and just go through the motions. Engage in what we're singing. Engage in what word is being spoken. Ask the Holy Spirit to, in, to address issues in your life. Tell the Holy Spirit that you're going to be there. Give your life to others and, and serve while you're here. But public reading of Scripture and exhortation, what do we do with the word of God? It's corporate worship. And receive the word. Let God speak to you. He says, don't neglect these things for uh, that have been affirmed, the things that have been affirmed as gifts by the Spirit. If you have an affirmed gift that the Spirit has given you, use it. Don't neglect the use of your gifts. Immerse yourself in it, he says. Practice them. Take the gift that God's given you and put it into practice. Your gift is not for you. I'll say it again. We're almost done. Your gift is not for you. It's for this body. Your gift is for the church. Use your gift. Immerse yourself in the use of your gift. Practice your gift. That's what Paul is saying. Timothy, practice your gift. Don't let the old people tell you you're doing wrong. You keep preaching because that's what you're gifted to do. We, the elders laid hands on you and said you, and we acknowledge that, that you're gifted in that. So in Ephesus, you're going to have opposition. But don't let people despise you. You do what God's told you to do. Use the gift that he's given you. Now, that doesn't in any way mean that you use it in arrogance or that you are proud of it. It's just, man, I'm going to serve people with this gift that God's given me. Immerse yourself in it. Let people see what it looks like when a person is striving toward Christ-likeness. Right? God knows. People have just seen enough of what hypocrisy looks like in the church. And finally, he says, keep a close watch on yourselves. Time, guys, time breeds complacency. If you don't pay attention and keep watch on yourself, time will breed complacency. You will find yourself in a rut, doing nothing, no value. All your, all your works are, are of no value anymore. You'll end up doing good things, and you'll lose the organic source of godliness, and that's Christ himself. Don't let that happen. He says, keep a watch on yourselves. Make sure you stay connected to his word and public reading of scripture and exhortation. That you stay connected with what the spirit is leading you and guiding you to do. Don't move outside of that. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory for the world. It's not you being good. It's Christ in you. And your persistence in living a life of godliness not only means, according to Paul, that you've obtained true salvation, but it also is a witness to the world of what true salvation is. And it's going to result in others coming to truth. All right, enough. Man, look, I hope we get this. It's a whole chapter today. Y'all would be proud of that. We covered a whole chapter. But don't be proud. It is a world record. Unless we apply it. All right, let's apply this message. I want you to feel so confident when you walk out of here today that it's okay for you to be you and be God's and work out your salvation. 
and not worry about whether you're fitting somebody's mold of what that's supposed to look like. Even mine. All right, let me free you up. Even mine. Don't worry about fitting a mold. But we do want to pursue God, and we want that to be our message. We want to be, this will be our message, and we'll stand firm here. And we're not going to compromise here. We're not going to, going to let these guys come in here and take these guys away to some kind of false truth, right? Some kind of legalistic attitude or some kind of something added to the gospel. We really believe at the Gathering Place West that Jesus Christ in you and you obeying him and walking in, in obedience to him and will grow your faith and it will be all you need, all this community needs to see in order to be drawn to Christ. So let's just be that. It's not complicated. All right. And Paul is encouraging Timothy in that way. And I want to encourage us. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you that, uh, that you have a call for us as a body. And Father, I, I just pray that this message today would make sense for all of us. God, that we would walk in it. And Lord, that you would take away. Um, what the enemy might be saying, Lord, to some of us right now even about, well, I can't really let go of that, can I? God, do you do that work in us. We, we trust that you are alive and you're working by your Holy Spirit in the lives of every believer in this room, regardless of where they are. And we trust that you are the Savior of all people and we know that you want to save this community. And so, God, I pray that you will help us to just walk in obedience and just to love you and to grow in our knowledge of you. And then you, God, are going to continue to teach us. You're going to be faithful to do the things you have to do for those things to happen. You're going to continue to to give us experiences that are God-exclusive experiences where we can see your work and what you're doing in in our lives personally. God, use us. Gavin Place West. We are not a complicated church. Very simple. But God, I, we, we, we long to be people that know you and that, that show you to others, that can lead people to know you because we, we know you by experience. And Lord, thank you for being a God who hides these things from those who are wise and gives them to the simple. Make us more simple today.